Welcome everyone to Merle's Pearls of Business Wisdom, where I, Merle M. Singer, the relationship miracle worker, talks about all things relationship and how they impact the workplace. And today we have an interview with Manisha Dewan, an expert for sure. Manisha is founder and CEO of Impact Coaching, is a certified professional coach. She's an MBA, a management consultant with two decades of experience leading digital innovation and change management initiatives across multiple industries. This woman has got the cred <laughs> and a design thinking specialist a long-term learner. Yes, a lifelong learner. Manisha is passionate about empowering executives to advance leadership skills, maximize team potential, and drive innovation forward. In addition to cooperative coaching, Manisha works with professionals on career strategy, human skills development. She's the author of Digital Agile Leader, Digital, that, that's a fancy one. It's a tongue twister. <laughs> yes, Digital Agile Leader, which will show you how to attract and develop top talent in an ever-changing digital world. One of the things uh, I like about Manisha is that she understands the relationship and the interaction among people and how effective or not effective it can be. Welcome, Manisha. Thank you so much, Merle. Super excited to be here. Uh, how's your week been? My week is great. And that was such a lovely introduction. So you just made my week. Um, it's <laughs> nice and warm here in San Diego, and I cannot complain. Uh, yeah. But yeah, all is well. How yes, about you? San Diego, it, it's not getting as hot as everywhere, is it? Um. It's a little bit humid right now, but yeah, I think there's other parts of the country and the world that are hotter than oh we're in. <laughs> so oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. So we're grateful is yes. kind of what we're saying here. Yeah. I prefer warm weather. Yes. I prefer, prefer warm. Okay. So I'll say not hot. <laughs> How's that? Yes. That's and it's all relative, right? Hot yes. for you can yeah. mean seventy-five degrees. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Not warm enough for me, right? <laughs> okay, so here we are, and uh, I I was very drawn to uh, reading about you because I think uh, that we share similar values, uh, and. Uh, so I'm going to explore more of what's going on in your head. So for instance, you talked about, and I mentioned it in the introduction, a design thinking specialist. What is a design thinking specialist? What does that mean? Yeah, and I by no means consider myself to be an expert. I'm always learning, like you mentioned, this lifelong learning mindset. Uh, but I was introduced to design thinking on a few of the projects I went on to deliver as a consultant. 
And we actually worked with IDEO who popularized design thinking. Um, They're a global design agency and they worked on products like the Apple mouse. And, uh, but you can apply it to anything that's like a big hairy problem where there's no clear solutions or, uh, you know, no straightforward approach. So it's really a methodology, but underpinning the methodology are key mindsets. And uh, I'll give an example at a high level. The, the stages are, you know, you start by empathizing with the person you're trying to design for or solve for uh, so that we can kind of. Hey, so when you when you're designing, yeah. for instance, a for instance of what you're designing, uh, let's say you're designing a new app or a new product okay. uh, or, okay. you know, if you think about, I have a couple examples. There was uh, one where even like, you know, the vegetable peeler that we use in our kitchen, the yes. OXO, yes. OXO brand, um, that, that kind of used the principles of design thinking. And I can walk through how or why that is. But, you know, essentially when we're designing, we don't want to design for our, ourselves or we have to be mindful of the biases we bring into the design because ultimately we're not the end user. Right. That's right. right. Um, and and if we design for the masses, that's great. But what about the edge cases and the outliers? Um, are we really taking into account their experiences and their pain points? Uh, so, for example, let's say you're designing an app and you want to create a compelling user experience. Um, you start with empathy. That's the first. That's kind of the underlying underpinning part of design thinking. And that and that is your uh, website. Yes, that's <laughs> empath, empathy. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of, that's a play off my first name, Manisha, and it's the letters M-P-A-T-H, spinning on the word empath, which um, in my mind, I feel like I've always kind of been an empath and and uh, and absorb the energy in my surroundings and really try to um, understand people's emotions and their perspectives. But then there's also empathy, which is trying to put ourselves in the shoes of others, which is not always easy to do. And, you know, uh, so yeah, definitely that's a play off that word for sure. Cool. So keep going. So, okay. Uh, yeah. So empathy meaning, um, so for, in the case of the OXO uh, vegetable right. peeler, right. Uh, you know, the man who created it, he, his wife was one of the users um, and she had arthritis. So he's designing for somebody that actually could be challenged by using a vegetable peeler in the kitchen, not just for the masses, which right. was interesting. Um, and you really want to immerse yourself in someone's environment, observe them, ask them questions. And that's like true bringing empathy into the equation uh, through observation and and questioning and immersion. So um, that's a key point of design thinking. We have to bring empathy with us. Okay, through that observation, then we collect data, we collect insights. Um, and then the second phase is to define like, what's the real problem we're trying to solve? Because we might be solving for a problem that doesn't exist, right? Or a problem that is not even important to the end user. Mm -hmm. In the case of, um, for example, if we're designing an app, you could add all kinds of features and functionality, but is the end user gonna care about it? Or are you just throwing right. money into the development? Right. That, that, yeah. that's, that's really interesting because just because you think of it doesn't mean everyone wants it. Right. Exactly. And you might think it's important. Um, so when I was on a project, for example, we were developing an app. So I keep going back to the app example because it's fresh on my mind right now. Yeah. And um, we actually did some prototyping and put something out into the field and, and tested users reactions and had them, you know, look at different apps 
and understand like where are they getting stuck? What do they wish they really had more of or less of? But oftentimes what happens in corporations is there's key stakeholders and other executives and people that want to influence the outcome, right? So they say, well, what if we had this? And what if we had that? And what if the app could do this? And so we had to manage those relationships and conversations and say, well, let's really look at the data and what's neat to have versus nice to have, where are the users really struggling? Um, you know, what's gonna drive conversions to the app, revenue? So it's an ongoing balancing of business priorities and then um, true customer pain points. I think that's what design thinking keeps reinforcing that mindset of let's put ourselves in the customer shoes, put our biases aside and design for them or with them, you know, alongside them. Interesting. Um, yeah. So those are just a couple of phases. The rest of it is uh, you ideate, you bring all these ideas forward. There's no such thing as a bad idea, quantity over quality. So everyone feels like they're contributing. And then you uh, select one or two ideas to prototype and test in the field, get that feedback and iterate. So it's like this iterative cycle. It's not linear. You can go from ideation back to, oh, wait a minute, let's go back and empathize or, or define the problem again. Maybe we need to get more clear on what the issue is. Um, Nonlinear again, and it's, it's, it's something you can take into your life and in your career. You know, I, I use this tool as looking at yourself, empathizing with yourself. Where are you? What are your pain points? What are your desires, your wants, your fears, your frustrations, and putting it all on the table? Okay, so let's ideate now. What are some potential career paths for you that you might want to explore? Um, how can you test that in a low-risk environment just to get some insights? Maybe you don't make a full-on career change, but you go learn about this topic and see if it's something you're interested in exploring. So again, it's, it's really a mindset. Um, specialist meaning I like to teach it and embed it into different things. Uh, I like to approach problem solving this way and problem finding this way. What are we really solving for? Going back to that question. Why? Why is this an issue? Why is this a problem? And asking those meaningful questions. You answered my question. Okay, good. <laughs> I have so many examples. I just want to make sure they're, you know, yes, no, relatable. Yes. Yes, it's relatable. Uh, well, to me, so, and that's what counts. <laughs> uh yeah so so that leads to uh you did talk about oh in the preface of your book you talked about uh the need to learn and unlearn mm -hmm. and, and this is you're just going to continue what you just said kind of uh and and relearn new stuff uh you know i did a um uh, a um, a podcast on people get addicted to the past, and they think that the past is uh, is really the answer has all the answers, and it does have some answers, but but the past is just what they're comfortable with because they've already experienced it. And they're afraid of the future, which is, oh, my gosh, I don't know what's going on. And so they get addicted to going back to, oh, this is how it used to be. Oh, wasn't it great then? And uh, uh, it, it, it's, it's a shame because it, it, takes, uh, it takes the attention off of, well, what really is effective and all, all the things you just said. So, yeah. So, absolutely. and so when you talk about unlearn, so talk about that. 
Okay, I love this. And you know what struck my mind initially when you were when you were speaking was even just like, you know, addicted to not that it's a bad thing, but like this idea of therapy and revisiting our past and our past traumas and analyzing them because we have to make sense of them to understand where we are today and where we're going and what's blocking us and preventing us from moving forward. So there's this constant like reflection and assessment backwards looking, but then how much of that time are we shifting and pivoting to say, okay, well, that was then, this is now, how do I get to where I want to go? But, you know, obviously therapy and trauma is, it's a very, um, very long and, and arduous cycle to go through that. So, but when I think of unlearning, I think of things like from our upbringing, our school systems, society, media, whatever we've, that's been ingrained in our minds, uh, even just like the number of planets in the solar system or things we've read in our history and science books, how true and relevant are they today? And do we need to maybe unlearn them? I love the analogy we talked about before, which is this idea of you've got closet space and you've got all these clothes hanging in your closet. And if you want to make room for more clothes, you have to clean the clutter, create that space. It's kind of the same decluttering process in our mind. Uh, because things are changing so fast, it can be uh, cause a lot of, you know, uh, cognitive overload to say, wait a minute, yesterday you were telling me this and today <laughs> something different. Or even in the case of like, if you, if you open up something on your phone and they move buttons around, wait, it used to be over here and now I can't find how to do this. So we constantly have to just, it's having that growth mindset and revisiting what we used to know may not be relevant and applicable today. Uh, we have, in order to do that, we have to be open to receive, we have to be humble enough to hear something we may not like, or that may go against our beliefs that are long held beliefs. And we have to be hungry enough to want to want to learn and want to question the status quo. And that's a part, and that is the part, is part of that growth. You have to, if you want to grow, uh, you need to clean out the closet to make room for the new stuff you're learning. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and isn't it true? Didn't didn't they declassify Pluto as a planet? Yeah, exactly. That's a great example. Yeah. You know, and here we are for I don't know how many decades of our life that we thought it was one way or the Earth was flat, and now it says now with more and more information becomes available, we have to unlearn those prior models and structures that we were taught to say, okay, now there's a new possibility. Uh, maybe there's something that we knew in the past, like a language, a foreign language. You know, maybe I studied Mandarin or uh, Hindi when I was younger. And, you know, I need to now relearn those concepts because I'm trying to, so it's it's the cycle of continual learning that I think is really important that requires that mental agility. And that's so important for relationships, for the future of work, for, um, you know, when you talk about relationships, we might have had an experience with somebody in the past and, and we remember and recall that experience. So when we meet with them again, are we truly opening our mind to say, okay, maybe it can be a different environment now. Um, we can reset the stage for a, a more productive conversation uh, and being open to maybe unlearning some of the things that we had thought about that person. Or are we practicing confirmation bias? We're looking for more data to support our beliefs right. that may not be appropriate okay. anymore. Yes, yes. Or uh, equally, if it's a new person, 
But, oh, that, you know, here was my last experience with a guy. So, oh, this is going to, it's, it's the same example. Yeah. Confirmation bias. Yeah. So unlearning that. (laughs) So I I have a financial background and things, uh, what is it? uh, um, Profits or, 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 gosh, I'd lost it. Things that. Uh, have uh, happened in the past is not an indication of mm-hmm. what this stock will do in the future. Absolutely. And, I mean, that's and that's 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 underneath every advertisement when they want you to buy it. Just realize, oh yeah, we're doing great, but who knows what the future will give? Exactly. But I think we're you know there's this path of least resistance that's very human and very normal. So even if something, let's say a new technology or a new way of working or a new approach comes out. Uh, that doesn't necessarily, it could be more efficient, it could be faster, it could save us time, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's easier. What's easier is what we've known, yes. we've learned and what we practice and um, what's kind of embedded. But because our brains, you know, um, we're very, we can rewire and reprogram them through practice, through training, through ongoing learning. It is possible to to change, but in general, I think it's it can be challenging to unlearn what we've what we've taught, which is why we see a lot of things we're seeing in human behavior where people are just holding really, really tightly on to habits and beliefs, even if they're not serving them and, and they might be struggling to move forward. Actually, bullseye. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, so. The, uh, so my thing is uh, why we how, how we hold on to old things. Uh, even beyond their their good use is like uh, like your body holds on to your weight even when <laughs> there's no good reason to keep that weight uh, but 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 you have to go past that resistance you have to go past that into uh, from comfort to uncomfortable in order to create, a new reality. It's true weight-wise. It's true habit-wise. It's true behavior-wise. And it's scary for people. Absolutely. I mean, even something as simple as taking something out of the closet and putting it away. Well, what happens if I lose this? The fear of the unknown. Uh, I mean, that's, you know, I'm, I'm being a little bit facetious here, but, you know, anytime we are releasing something or letting go or changing something in our lives, be it our weight, our health, our habits, um, technology, the way we work, the way companies operate, the way you show up as a leader, as a parent, um, there's always fear, fear of the unknown, fear of failing, you know, what if, what if I'm not good at this, I can be humiliated or uh, lose the credibility with my colleagues. If I do something that's, that's new to me and I'm not good at it right away, maybe we're frustrated with ourselves and and hold ourselves to high standards, maybe even fear of success. You know, what if I am good at this? What does that mean? Am I going to suddenly have like this larger scope of work or more responsibility or visibility that we don't feel prepared for? So it brings, yeah, it brings about a lot of uncertainty and fear for sure. And uh, what do they call it? Uh, imposter syndrome? Yeah, you know, I like to think of it more. I know there's a lot of um, 
a lot of conversation about imposter syndrome. And for me, even when I first heard that, I'm like, hmm, I don't necessarily like to think of it as a syndrome. So I've seen it reframed as like imposter phenomenon instead, meaning that it's something that could be a byproduct of our external environment. So if we're in a place where we're constantly being made to feel less than, or there's a lot of obstacles or roadblocks to you know, invoke change that can create this imposter phenomenon. Do I even really belong here? Do I, you know, does anyone really see me and appreciate me and the skills that I have? And that can reinforce this internal imposter feeling of self-doubt. So it's kind of like this internal, external, I think, uh, relationship at play. Uh, but some people, you know, in, in certain communities might be, uh, more susceptible to encountering that just because they're already up against so much from an early age based on their socioeconomic status and, um, you know, childhood experiences based on their race, ethnicity, all so many, it's very complex, I think, imposter phenomenon, but I think that's definitely an impediment to change. You know, am I going to be successful here? Do I have the resources and tools in place to be able to uh, navigate this change. What does change? What does it look like on the other side of this transition? Even if you think about what's happening now in the job market, a lot of people are facing this imposter phenomenon. You know, I'm now having to pivot my career or apply for a new job. And um, do I have the skills? Even, even if they do actually have the skills oh, on paper, absolutely. Right? Yes, absolutely. it's one thing to have it on paper, but then our belief systems and yes. our bringing and all yes. that can negate yes. that. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm thinking that uh, like people that climb Mount Everest, mm -hmm. that, that that are willing to uh, go into something unknown territory that that is dangerous, and that they conquer it. That once once you do something really amazing, to, and and learn that you have whether the fact of scariness of unknownness and have been successful that by gosh you can do it again thousand percent i fully believe that i always when i'm talking to people about you know what's holding them back it's always well how have you been successful in the past what else have you conquered how can you draw upon those skills and and internal you know reserves to remember and reflect on like you've done this before mm -hmm. uh you know but it's interesting when we face something new again like let's say you go from climbing mount everest to now having to go public public speaking right. <laughs> suddenly you feel like oh well this is not in my wheelhouse and i'm feeling right. like an imposter again and can i really do this and all those yeah. you know circular thoughts so i think it's really important to track our accomplishments remember them reflect on them um and and continue to build that that sort of like support system around us that reminds us that we are capable yes yes We're, and and then, so and what you're saying there again is you can't do it by yourself that you need those people around you. And so pick them judiciously and 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 order them like the flowers uh, so that they grow and and uh, and that you do have this big support system. That's yeah, I think that's a huge part of it because you can't you can only do so much alone. And then if there's people around you that are kind of bringing you down, that's going to impact how far you'll go. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Uh, we're, uh, I, I have another question to ask, uh, but uh, do, do we have time for that? We have, yeah, we've got 10 more minutes. Is that okay? Okay. Sure. Good. 
So uh, I, I um, uh, since we're talking about all this, I, I think you should talk about yourself and how you've reinvented yourself. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And <laughs> sometimes it was on, on plan and sometimes it was just, it was forced in, upon me and I had no choice. Uh, but I, I'd love to talk a little bit more. And I, I also, I also, this is what inspired me to kind of write my book and, and describe my journey and, and about change. But for myself, you know, I started, I grew up in, uh, um, you know, my parents came from India as immigrants and very, very humble beginnings, you know, did not have the lifestyle that they were able to afford me. So I'm very grateful for that. And I watched my, my father uh, build a company from the ground up in our garage when I was just a toddler. And I didn't know, I had no idea what was going on at the time, but it was really, really exciting to watch him. And I thought we were like playing a game, but no, he was trying to sustain the family. Uh, so eventually I ended up working for him as did, you know, most of, I think all of our, my siblings, most of us, we had some tenure there. Oh, so what was it? What was yeah, it? so my dad's a chemical engineer by trade, and the company name is Applied Membranes, and we manufacture and distribute equipment and systems and components to purify water for different applications, oh. like pharmaceutical dairy, agriculture, food and beverage, drinking water. I mean, there's so many applications for water, so a very resilient industry. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, he was building stuff in our garage and and, you know, meeting with clients and customers and vendors. It was really interesting. And throughout the high school, throughout my high school summers, while my friends were, you know, hanging out at the mall, I would be working in the family business, which in retrospect, I'm very grateful for. It taught me a lot of great work ethic. Um, and of course, I, I do think it's good for people to work at a young age as, as early as possible to get those skills. So um, I worked in all facets of the business from, you know, no job is too big or small in the family business, right? Everything from filing papers to packing boxes. Um, and then uh, as the business grew, I worked in marketing, operations, sales, and learned the ins and outs. And I was so fortunate to have my father as a mentor in my life. Um, but from there, I actually decided, you know, maybe there's just, I just wanted to see like what, what else is possible for me? What else can I do? And I pivoted and I ended up getting my MBA um, from UC Irvine and found myself in the world of management consulting. So that's when I started my, uh, you know, my gigs at PwC and I was at Deloitte consulting for uh, close to six years or so working. And, and they threw me in all kinds of projects that and clients and industries I'd never been exposed to technology, healthcare, media and entertainment, nonprofit, you know, medical device. And I had to be very agile and nimble and learn very quickly, be resourceful, ask people questions, build relationships. I think that's the number one thing that made me successful in my, in my role was I was able to build relationships across the enterprise with the clients, with my team, and that could help build credibility and um, influence. And then I was also, you know, trying to get as savvy as possible with the systems we were implementing and and get my hands in as much as I could, enough to be dangerous, to be able to speak the language and and then learn the business. How is the technology or the change impacting the people and the business and the business processes? I dove really deep into that for several years, really fell in love with the people side of change. So I made a lateral shift at Deloitte. I worked in their human capital practice for a while doing um, training, communications, change management. And then again, I pivoted more times and for different reasons. Sometimes it was something with my health that I had to take a step back and say, I can't do this weekly travel anymore. I need to figure out what's next. Um, sometimes it was just because I felt the opportunity fell into my lap and I raised my hand and said, I'll do it. I'll take it, even though it's a really challenging project and it opened up more doors. 
a lot of times it was through those relationships and networking, those moments where you're speaking to somebody and you don't think anything of it. And three years down the road, you get a phone call. Hey, we have a, we have a job. Um, and, and I went into staffing and recruiting and project management, program management, business. I mean, I, I again, a lot of it was none of it was necessarily I was thinking at the time, like, I want to be a digital agile leader. <laughs> which is <laughs> It was just, you know, I, I'm just going to try to learn as much as possible and see where my career leads me. I hit a lot of roadblocks and obstacles. I found myself stagnant many times. And that was also a trigger for me to want to then make purposeful, intentional change in my career. And then I found myself where I am today, which is kind of borrowing from my father's entrepreneurial spirit, starting my own coaching and consulting practice and working with leaders and organizations um, to uplevel their leadership and their teams. And then I'm still, by the way, have my, you know, foot in the door in our family business, because that's always going to be close to my heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. I I, th- I think we've, uh, uh, I think we've used up our time. Okay. And it's been a pleasure. And yes, it has. I've really enjoyed my time. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, yeah I look forward to staying in touch. Yes, yes. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening to my interview with Manish Dewan. Manisha Dewan. I got That's right. So I usually I like the one. <laughs> one one. Okay, I got it. <laughs> Please find her at empathcoaching.com and buy her book, The Digital Agile Leader. Said it right. Thank you for listening to Merle's Pearls of Business Wisdom with me, your host, Merle M. Singer, the Relationship Miracle Worker. You can find this episode and all past episodes at relationshipmiracleworker.com slash podcast, as well as on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and all your other favorite podcast performances. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye, Manisha. Bye, Merle. Thank you. Thank you.